Amen. Um, okay. So there are a couple things uh, in my life that really upset me. Two things in particular. Comments on online blogs and bumper stickers. And, and there is a bumper sticker that simply says this. It says, coexist. I'm sure you've seen it. It's a very common one. It says, coexist. They upset him too. And I, I can sympathize. He's like, bumper sticker. Um, coexist. And, and with that, it, it has these different symbols, symbols of different religions. And, and the basic message is, you know, can't we just get along? Um, can't we just coexist? Today, uh, we are talking again about the Messiah, and one of the promises of the Messiah is that he would bring peace, and, and yeah, I find in, in a simple bumper sticker like that, that we kind of throw peace out there, and we go, can't this just be? And, and yeah, so I want to give, give definition to that, and see how we can come to that. Probably when any of us really thinks historically about peace, the 1960s come up, right? And maybe not for you, but, you know, Bob Dylan. Of course we all think of Bob Dylan. And the Beatles. And this is a song that, um, that I think typifies that, that era and the mentality that I think is carried on to today. And it's a song by John Lennon called Imagine. And, and this is how it reads. I'm sure many of you know it. You're familiar with it. He says, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no country. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. I think that's what he does right there. Um, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. So what John is basically saying is, can't we just put everything aside and share some peace and quiet today, together. Um, but my thought is, as we come into this, and as we process this, is I don't think we would know what to do with that peace. If there was no country, if there was no lines, if there was no greed, if there was, we wouldn't really know what to do with that peace. I think that silence would actually deafen us. Right? Similarly, you know, sometimes when we like, just share the moment like we had before and we, we listen to music and we all try to share a single space together for a little bit, I did that knowing that maybe that would be a challenge for you guys. That wasn't the goal of playing the song, but I knew it might be a challenge for us just to share six minutes together in absolute silence, right? right? That can be challenging. Your mind's, okay, you know, I, my, I didn't turn my crock pot on or, you know, whatever's going through your mind. That's not going through my mind. I didn't, I didn't. Um, right? But something else interjects, right? And so, so while John's asking us, can't we just stop what we're doing? Can't we just stop? But if we stopped, 
I think the reason why we keep moving and the reason why there is no peace is partly because it's, it's as we're going and as we're desiring, our desires we just find are in conflict with one another. And, and even if we look within, there's conflicting desires within us. So if we stopped, even if we gave up everything we had, and if we tried so hard, would John's dream really be imagined? Uh, and I, I don't think so. Um, in Jeremiah 8.11, one of the prophets says, simply says, peace, peace, but there is no peace. And I think, I think that's kind of what in the 1960s was happening. And even today, people are just going, peace, peace. We just need peace, but there's no peace. Because the root of the issue is a lot deeper than us just stopping. We can't stop that conflict. So, as we look at the Messiah, the question is, how does the Bible promise that peace? And how does the Messiah deliver that kind of peace? Um, I know you're in Matthew, but we're going to flip around for a little bit and give it context to the, the biblical idea of peace and then how the Messiah can actually bring that peace. Um, and, and this is, I just kind of, as we dive into this, I really want you guys to get that, that peace is good, peace is what we want, but what is that peace? What is that peace that we long for so much? And I think the Bible gives better definition to it than anyone else does and then provides a better answer than anyone else does. First, to give context, historically, um, if you were, people have always greeted one another, right? Um, said, hello, how are you doing? Um, if, if you were a Jew throughout history and you would greet somebody you would simply ask them, how is your peace? Right? I would try to pronounce that in Hebrew, but I would ruin it. Um, he, my dad was even like mouthing it to me, but I'm not going to try that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, right, it, it's beautiful. How is your peace? Similar to us going, how are you doing? Right? How are you doing? And... and <laughs> We'll probably be like, fine. How is your peace, though? How is your peace? And literally, he's saying, how is your shalom? And this is what shalom means. Shalom means complete. Is that me? Am I, am I like... Sorry, I'll like... Bad posture. My problem. Um, <laughs> do I need to stand up higher? Sorry. It's chopping wood yesterday. It's just ruining my posture. Okay, um, so this is what it means. Shalom means com <laughs> Okay, I'm going to move this down a little bit, and we'll see if that helps. Okay, is that good? We're good, we'll see. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, shalom. Completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, Prosperity, perfection, fullness, rest, harmony, absence of agitation. How is your peace today? And that's huge. It comes from literally the root. It simply means complete, perfect, and full. Complete, perfect, and full. Are you complete, perfect, and full? That's what they would be asking one another. 
Are you complete, perfect, and full? Um, turn with me to a couple of places here, and I just want to see, I want to show you the context that this would be shared. And other than this casual greeting, there's context in the way they expected to be, this to be seen and shared among their people. In Numbers 6, which is the fourth book in the Bible, Numbers 6, starting in verse 22, there's a priestly blessing that was shared. So when the priest would bless people, this is what they would say. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Give you fullness give you completeness, give you wholeness. That was a prayer for the people, the blessing for the people that the priest would say. Turn with me to, to Psalm 122. Psalms, if you just kind of flip over to the middle of your Bible. Psalm 122. These are the songs of ascent here at the end of the Psalms. And, and this is thinking of of the people returning to Jerusalem. And this is what they're encouraged to do. Pray, it says in verse 6, pray for peace, pray for shalom of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure and may their peace be within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say peace within you. Right. So it's not just a blessing that the priests are giving to the people, but it's this exhortation Pray for peace. Right? And, I, and this is kind of a side note, but I want you guys to think of this too as people say, pray for America, or pray for the world. Pray for shalom, right? Pray for completeness and wholeness. Pray for, pray for peace again here. Turn with me to Ezekiel 37. It's one of the big prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 37, 24, and this is when it starts narrowing in on the promise of peace and the prophecy of peace. Ezekiel 37, 24, my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of shalom. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. And if you guys remember two weeks ago, and you you heard this, I will put my sanctuary among them forever. What would you think? You would think John 1, right? where the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, right? So this is a prophecy that's looking forward to Jesus when he says, I will establish my covenant of shalom with them. Turn to Zechariah 9. We're getting to the minor prophets here. And if it takes you too long to flip, you can, I'm going to read it anyway. So Zechariah 9, starting in verse 9. 
It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. And we see that, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim shalom to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Right, and that, that means so much to us. Everything you read, the, the donkey coming in, peace, shalom being proclaimed to the nations, the blood of his covenant, right? Your, your mind's probably going crazy with what that means for Jesus. But this is the covenant he was going to bring, and it was going to proclaim shalom to the nations. Look at one more with me, Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is the first of the big prophet books. And this... This will be familiar with you if you've ever sat through a Christmas sermon. Isaiah 9. Starting in verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So that was the hope for the Messiah. And what I want to connect with you really quick before we jump into Matthew is this. What they would share in casual conversation provides the link, one of the main links between our understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament. What they would say casually, right? How's your peace? How's your shalom? Is this, is this line throughout the Old Testament as, as the, the priests would bless the people and they would say, God, may your face shine upon us. May you bring them peace and they would pray for it. Shalom. That was the goal all along. So maybe it didn't look like 1960s, but what is, what is that peace? What is that shalom we've been wanting? So how does the Messiah bring that? And this is exciting because like we've seen in every Sunday, the Messiah brings it literally brings it in a way that blows our minds. So turn with me to Matthew 10 if your finger's still there. Um, And we'll see how the Messiah brings peace. So Matthew 10 begins with with Jesus rallying his disciples. There's 12 of them. And it says he gives them authority and he sends them out to heal what I first want to note with you guys really quick as he, as he gives them authority and, and sends them out is that you can only give authority if you have authority to give, right? I could tell you guys, you know, everyone go enjoy lunch in the shipyard later, but I don't have the authority to say that to you, right? I just don't, I don't have the authority, the clearance, as some might call it, Um, to do that, right? So you can only give authority if you have authority to give. And he gives them extraordinary authority. And as we come into this, and as we share this time together, I want to begin by asking you, 
do you see Jesus as having the authority to say these things? Because that, oftentimes that's the beginning for us, is we'll come and be like, I just want to see him from afar and like test his words from afar, right? But if we don't really hear him having the authority to say these things, it will change the way that we actually listen to them. Start with me in verse 5. We're just going to walk through this, 1 to 40, and see how he brings us peace. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take any gold or silver or copper with you in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. This is the beginning of him taking this message that would bring peace. Literally preaching, the kingdom of heaven is near. First, there could be confusion because like, why just go to Israel? Right? Why not go everywhere? And this is why. We've preached this a lot recently as we've seen Messiah. Messiah is for everyone, but he's saying first go to those who have been entrusted with the promise. Go to those who for decades, thousands of years has been saying, how's your peace? Those people who, who know that peace means shalom. Go to those people first because they've been waiting. And, and I, I think we should sense in this that for... <laughs> For, for God, and, and as Jesus is speaking this, it seems like throughout the whole Old Testament, even when there's this crazy rebellion going on in the hearts of people, God is still reaching out his hand. And in, in this way, it's like he's, Jesus is still going like, go and preach the kingdom to them. <laughs> go and give them another chance. Right, to actually hear and actually share in this. And they're preaching this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Right? What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven is near. Literally, it means the kingdom you've been waiting for, the Messiah, the Messiah's kingdom, the Prince of Peace, right? The child is born. This is every Christmas, right? A child is born, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His kingdom is here. And, and after that, right in verse 7, it says, and there will be no end to his government. They were waiting for the kingdom of heaven, and they were meant to be preaching the kingdom has finally come. Right? The prince of peace is here to right the wrong and bring salvation. And that came tangibly in their midst. And this is what's so cool is oftentimes we can come and we can be like, yeah, it's just like this, this thing you get, like it's this truth that you understand. And he goes, no, I'm giving you authority to bring healing, cure lepers, raise dead people. Go do that, right? So it's not like the kingdom of heaven is here. Believe me. Right? So the kingdom of heaven is here and I'm coming with the authority of God Almighty. And that's awesome. And so, so oftentimes we can be content with this like, yeah, we're Jesus' people. Right? Awesome. Are you Jesus' person? Like, I am too. Yay. Right? No. Like, when Jesus comes, lives are changed. 
Right? When the power of God comes upon a people, people don't remain the same. And so, so there, there's oftentimes this lie that we can share like, oh yeah, we, we come and we say Jesus in our music, and so we're Jesus' people. But, but we want to be people that are like, has the kingdom of heaven come? Has the kingdom of heaven come into our lives? Are we being changed by it? And that was the evidence that the kingdom of God had come upon this people. And so they were, these disciples were participating in that. And this is how they would participate on it. Go to verse 11. It says, Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, then let your peace return to you. And do you hear that? Let your, give them your greeting. What is that greeting? How is your peace? Are you ready for peace? Right? And if that home isn't ready for peace, move on. I tell you the truth, verse 15. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So they were coming. They were the peacemakers. Uh, they talked about in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. So they were literally coming with the message of peace, which was Messiah has come and things are about to change. He said there will be people that just won't get it. And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of verses. But what it meant for those who were bringing it, it meant these three things. If you read these verses that they were people about one business, which was kingdom business. Right? They were people, this is two, they were people with a sense of urgency. If they came to a home, they were like, are you ready for peace? And they're like, no, we're going to move on. Right? We're looking for people who are ready for peace. Keep moving. Why? Well, because it, the message wasn't just like stuck there for a little bit of time. The message was going to keep being proclaimed, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, it was going to be taken all over the place. It was going to be preached someday in Bremerton, Washington, right? So during this time, are you, are you a place of peace? Do you receive this peace? No, move on. There was a sense of urgency, and they were a wise people. They were people looking for those who would share in this real peace. And I think if we gather on this really quickly, our church needs to be people who are wise when we talk about peace. In Acts 20, when Paul is leaving this, this church, he says, be careful because vicious wolves will come and prowl among you. Right? People are going to come and they will steal your peace, but they come and they're not like, hey, I'm going to steal your peace. Right? They don't come there like, hey, I'm just going to change everything around here and ruin you. Right? It seems to be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents, because you need to be able to identify what real peace is. Right? How oftentimes in churches are we like, oh, he said Jesus, that means he shares in peace. Not at all. Matthew 25, many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, and they'll say, I never knew you. So this is a serious, we need to be innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents. When you go to a place and you say, do you know peace? And they say, yeah, I know peace. Their life doesn't reflect that. Be careful. Be shrewd with that. And the disciples were taught in that. And we're, Are you guys with me? Do you guys get that? We need to be wise about this. Not everyone who says they share in peace shares in peace. And we're going we're gonna to define this more. 
So that Jesus is imagining a different peace, not shared by all. Starting in verse 17. He says this, Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils, flog you in their synagogues. On my account, they will be brought before governors, kings as witnesses to them, and to Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what they say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the household has been called Bezalbub, how much more the members of his household. And this is, this is like getting to some real serious stuff. He's saying, so if you go out, even if you go out as a peacemaker, as one who has accepted the kingdom, you will go out and maybe because you're going out, there will be conflict. He says, not only maybe, he says, all men will hate you because of me. And he says, not if, but when you are persecuted, keep taking that message with you. Because of this, because you share in my peace because they did the same to your teacher. Right? This is amazing. But why is this? I, as we come into the next, next group of verses, I really want to dwell on this, because, because this is just different. This is different than John Lennon's view. John Lennon's like, we just need to stop everything and just live together. Right? But Jesus is coming at this from a very different angle. A very different angle. He goes, when true peace comes, it will be something that maybe doesn't bring everyone together. Right? And this is crazy, guys. This is revolutionary. When true peace comes, it will be maybe more divisive than our cheap peace. Right? And this is hard. As we go into the next set of verses, start with me in 26. Don't be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in daylight. What is whispered in your ears, proclaim from the roof. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. So don't be afraid of them. Four things really quick. Reasons why there is no peace. 
And, and I, I, this, is, this is the bulk of it. And then the conclusion comes and it will, it will wrap it up so beautifully. But this is why there is no peace. The first is that we have wholesale, all of us, believed a lie. That's the reason why there's no peace. Right? The, the reason why there is no peace isn't just because, oh, it's we just need to have peace. Right? It's like this, this weird transition we talk about, right? Like, like John Lennon's imagination was so small. John Lennon's imagination was so small because he was like, why don't we just go from no peace to peace? Yeah, great, we're at peace now, right? His imagination was so small because of this, because we have wholesale believed a lie that this, that glory and happiness, that the glory and happiness of me is the greatest good. The glory and happiness of me is the greatest good. It, it puts us at the center of the universe. And we say with John Lennon, I just want peace. Isn't that enough to ask for? I mean, what am I? It's not a big of a deal. I just want to be happy, right? And this is what it does. It puts them as the ones always causing the war, right? I just want happiness. So if they just cooled it, finally we'd have some peace, right? I want peace. So if everyone else just stopped having conflict. And it's the same thing Jeremiah said. Peace, peace, but there's no peace, right? I want peace, you want peace, why can't we just have peace? I want happiness, you want happiness, let's just be happy. Is that too much to ask for, right? And it is because we've wholesale believed this lie that my happiness is the greatest good. And so we'll always define peace and define contentment about what makes me happy. But the fact is, that's so relative, right? It's like... We, we all have these different ideas and then we come together and, and the more passionate we are about my idea of peace, the more that does bring conflict. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So, so at the root of it is this lie and is this conflict. And the reason why Jesus brings more conflict is because he exposes that. Right? We, I, about a year ago, preaching a sermon, I, I talked about this, I gave this analogy that a lot of people grabbed a hold of it. And it was this, that if we have this wound, right, this festering wound, and we just cover it, right, we cover it with our lie, going, I just, I just want to move on, <laughs> right? So we cover that. What Jesus does is he takes that off. And he goes, there is conflict. Don't you see it? And this is amazing. He says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And that is why there's more conflict. The war has not been something outside of us, but it has been something going on inside of us, all of us, all along. And that's what he's revealing. Does that make sense? <laughs> so we're going, why can't we just have peace? Why can't this, everything outside just have peace? Because I'm ready to have peace. I don't know about you. But Jesus is going, you are not ready to have peace. What you've tried to conceal so well, hold up within your heart as if if peace happened, you'd be ready to participate. And he goes, you are not ready for peace. 
If peace came, you, it would be the most foreign thing to you. And even worse than that, it will be shouted from the rooftops. <laughs> You're not just going to be unveiled. It's going to be shouted from the rooftops. So there is no peace. Because, third point, we have lived for the wrong thing. Right? We have believed a lie. The lie is exposed, but we have continued to live as though if peace showed up, we'd be ready for it. Right? And so we go around going like this. We go around going, <laughs> you know, what Messiah needs to do is he just needs to show up. He just needs to show up. And then I'm on, I'm on his train, right? I'm his guy. I'm his girl. Right? Like, I'm his. He just needs to show up. And then I'm ready. He's going, you're not ready. He's going, I'm going to bring this to you, but it's going to create conflict. People will be separated because of this. Things are going to go on because of this, because people are not going to see or understand. And what we find, fourth point, that God is uncompromising. And so we try to make Messiah compromising. We try to go, Messiah comes and he'll just be like, come on in. Like, I love you. <laughs> but this is what he says. He says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever uh, disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. He goes, you disown me? He goes, you expect Messiah to come and just be like, it's, it's okay. But Messiah is going to unveil the wound. Right? He's going to expose the lie. And that's not, lies are not okay. Okay? I feel like that's something we shall agree on. Amen. <laughs> right? Lies are not okay. And so he's going to expose that. And he goes, if you keep living in this lie, you don't have part. Right? But we live, that's another lie we live with. When Messiah comes, it's all okay. It's not okay. Lies are still bad. Lies disowning still bad when Messiah comes. So, Two options, acknowledge me or don't acknowledge me. And so this is what it brings. 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. No, I have come to bring a sword. What does he mean by that? What does he mean? For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is hard stuff. This is confusing stuff. But turn with me. So the quote there, this will help us. The quote there is taken from the book of Micah. So turn with me really quickly to Micah. It's Micah 6 where that's taken from. It says, For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, etc. But look up to verse 4. And this is, this is amazing, right? Oftentimes we can, we can just like stop. Like, unless you love me more than them, then we're like, that doesn't even make sense. I'm just going to, no, no, I can't do that. Verse 4, the best of them is like a briar, the most upright worse than a thorn. 
The day of your watchman has come. So what he's saying is like, he goes to the best of you. The best of us still have that seed, still have that thorn in us. The day of your watchman has come. The day God visits you. Oh, seven. Did I say six? Okay, sorry. Seven, verse four. I, was so, I really like Micah 6, 8. Everyone, you know, so I was just thinking Micah 6, 8. And then I said Micah 6. So Micah 7, 4 Okay, so the best of them is like a briar, the most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come. The day God visits you, now is the time of their confusion. That's huge. The, the, the time the watchman has come, the day God visits you. Who is that? Jesus. The day God visits you, and now is the time of their confusion. Weird. Do not trust a neighbor who put no confidence in a friend, even with her lies in your embrace. Be careful of your words. And then he goes on. So, and then he ends. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. God will hear me. This is prophecy fulfilled right here. I hope you guys get this. This is huge. I got like giddy when I read this yesterday, right? Verse 4, the day God visits you, this is the day of confusion. And that's what he says, I bring a sword, not peace. Because when God comes, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go, you're not God. You're not. God will do something else. God will take my, God will take my disowning and he'll be okay with that. God will take my lying and he'll be okay with that. And he goes, no, this is a day of confusion because he's going to unveil the wound, but he'll be uncompromising with it. That's huge. So in Matthew 10, this is, this is the answer key to this problem. This is the answer key. Starting in verse 38. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Answer key is this. We have believed the lie that we are at the center of the universe. And it switches here. Right? He who finds his life will lose it. He who finds that life, your own happiness that you define for yourself and that puts you at conflict with everyone else around you, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the cross is the turning point. Right? Imagine this. It's before that he, he himself has borne the cross. It's before he has borne the cross. And he's asking them to take up a cross. And so this has to be so weird for them to hear this. But they will know. They will see in time the fulfillment of this. And it will be beautiful. It will be absolutely beautiful. And this is the big point. Turn with me to Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, starting in verse 41, it says, In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. They mocked Jesus. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him then. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. How painful is that? If God wants him, let God have him. But God doesn't want him, right? 
And, and at this moment, Jesus is feeling the fullness and bearing the fullness of the lie. Okay? And in response, he cries the cry of humanity. Starting in verse 5, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came to the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we have been wounded. There is no peace. And so we go, God has forsaken us. So God, Jesus cries, the cry of humanity going, God has forsaken us. There, our cry going, there is no peace. There is no peace. And so he stands in the place of the broken, of the one who was wounded, going, I have been forsaken. In this ultimate act of self-denial, right, of God denying his right and taking on himself the full force of the lie we have believed, he won salvation for us. And this is so beautifully, just clo- I'm not even have you turn there. Close your eyes as I, as I read this. Isaiah 53, verse 5. And he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us shalom was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. By him, Looking, unveiling your lie, your wound, by his wound, you can be healed of your wound. And that is, that is peace. Guys, this is huge. And I hope we get this. Because there are so many counterfeit pieces out there. There are so many false promises of peace. And they are lies. Right? And they will tell you that you have a lie because the peace that you bring exposes a wound that causes conflict in people's hearts to the extent they will reject you and they will reject him. And they will go, it can't, it can't be true because this is dividing. right? And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But that will be the day when we go to heaven and we just see him Right, and we see him and we just proclaim his name. We go, it was right, I was wounded all along. And guys, let's do that now, right? Let's not, let's not keep pretending, believing the lie. I just need my counterfeit peace and then I'll be fine. But Jesus wants to do more than that. He wants to expose the peace, expose the lie, look in, reach in, and bring true healing. But that will cause conflict in you. That will be hard in you. That makes sense? Because you're going to be confronted with your wound. Colossians 1.19 says, And God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his death on the cross. John 14.27, I'll leave you here. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Pray with me. Oh God, I, I pray that you will just, God, give us that, that safety right now to, to let you see us, see all of us. 
and, and bring healing to us, God. I pray that this time of singing together will just be a good healing time. Um, if it takes us just sitting there and praying, letting you look at us, God, I pray we'll do that. If it just means proclamation, we'll do that. But God, we don't want to live lying to ourselves or lying to others. God, we really want to know you. God, drive this home to us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.